to live with i know people don't see it as a failure and that's nice by the way but i've learned to live with that commentary in 2005 because other people remember it in a completely different way which is really nice I, i've got moments in, in my commentary career that are far outweigh november 2005 and he's here he is here cristiano has entered the building Yes, guys, welcome to another episode of Sculpted. Today we have Simon Hill on. Uh, it's honestly a pleasure to have him on. It's an amazing person. Uh, if you don't know who Simon is, you might recognize his voice if you're from Australia. Uh, it's it's a massive, massive honor, as I said. And Simon, if, if it's okay with you, could you please give a little background and introduction to who you are and what you do? Well, first of all, thanks for inviting me, Nicholas. Nice to be on your program. Um, my name's Simon Hill. I've been a football commentator, stroke broadcaster, stroke reporter, stroke presenter uh, for 32 years now. Obviously, as you can tell by my accent, I started in the UK. That's where I'm from. I'm from the northwest of England. Um, and in the earlier part of my career, I worked for the BBC and ITV, among many others. Uh, I emigrated to Australia in 2003, initially to work for SBS television, uh, and then went on to work for Fox Sports for, well, the best part of 15 years, really. And now I'm with Channel 10 and Paramount Plus, uh, calling a lot of the A-League games and the Socceroos and various other things. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, as a kid, when I was growing up watching football, I'd always I'd always know the voice. I'd see, I'd see everything off the sports, all of that. So that makes me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that long ago. Um, but yeah, it's it's an honor to have you on, Simon. And the the reason why we want Simon on today is because we we I mean personally, obviously I, I know Simon uh, from all of his stuff in Australia. But there's there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of eyes on Simon every every time he goes on the air, right? And as a person and as an individual, we can take these these anecdotes and things from someone who is dealing with these pressure moments these moments where he has to it, Simon has a very very pressure filled job where it's about performance he can't he can't really afford to make too big of a mistake because that could be his whole career gone so he has to be perfect well close to it I mean maybe the imperfections can make a bit of personality but this is something that we can learn from as uh, footballers, as anyone in life, we can take notes from people who are doing it at the top level. And today we want to talk about how you as a person and how Simon has been able to make himself presentable, how he is able to, you know, present his voice over football matches, things like this, how, how he is able to make himself better every time so that when he is ready to record or to be on air, it is as good as possible. 
and this can translate into any areas of life. If you're going into a job interview, if you're going into a football trial, they all relate because this pressure, everyone has it. And Simon's up here at the, at the top doing it in front of millions of people. And this is something that we can all take notes from. So Simon, if you could just go through maybe one, two, three ways that you prepare to go on air or to do anything where it's, you know, in front of people where you want to make a good impression or you want to at least show your best self. Well, look, in my job, I think the most important thing still is research. Uh, you know, you make sure that you're prepared to do your job. And for me as a, a commentator that calls a game on a Saturday, that means being across all the various news angles, all the players, all the injuries, the form guides, whether it's the manager's birthday, uh, whether the fans are for or against the coach. You know, you've got to be across all of these things and be prepared for any eventuality because you know when you're calling a game of, of live sports anything can happen literally you are you know narrating people essentially through a story that is ever changing and ever unfolding in a thousand different ways over the course of 90 minutes it could be a 5-4 thriller it could be a boring goalless draw there could be four players sent off a player may break his leg there may be an incident in the crowd um, God forbid somebody might die in the crowds, you know, so you you have to be prepared for every eventuality. Now, obviously, you can't know what's going to happen, um, but your research during the week, and I always liken this to, you know, a player that goes training five days a week, and probably the, the most asked question of a footballer is, you know, what would you do the rest of the week? And I certainly get that as a commentator. Well, I prepare because Saturday or Sunday or sometimes both, and my big days, that's when I, you know, put all that hard work during the week into practice. And, you know, you, you can't be perfect. You talked about, um, <clears throat> you know, not making any mistakes. Well, we're all human. Everybody makes mistakes. I make mistakes. Um, but obviously you can't make too many of them. Otherwise, you know, mistakes become uh, a habit so you, you try and minimize those but you're never going to get everything right particularly when you're on a live broadcast so uh, you try your best to minimize those errors and your research certainly helps that um, I would also say that you know experience comes into play a lot as well uh, probably like a young kid making his his debut uh, in the first team you know he might have the raw attributes but he's not used to that high pressure environment so he may not quite be ready for the intensity of that environment and it's the same for a commentator you you know you hopefully get better as the years progress because you've seen all the the different scenarios you've you've had to deal with those high pressure moments where you know the the game pinches on a grand final goal and you have to call it correctly or an offside call or you're at a world cup uh, calling as I did Australia's first goal of the World Cup finals in 32 years. Um, now, some people might call that pressure, and it was, uh, but of a very nice type. Um, you know, I would liken pressure to a guy who's struggling to pay his mortgage when he's got three kids and, you know, five mouths to feed. That's proper pressure. What we do is enjoyable, or it should be anyway. And if you don't get pleasure from your job whatever walk of life it is then I always think really you're in the wrong job so you know there's lots of elements that go into into making uh, 
a commentator and also lots of ways that you can prepare for that high pressure environment. Uh, those are just two or three of them. And uh, as I say, hopefully across the 32 years that I've been doing this, I've, I've got at least a little bit better at it. That's excellent. I, yeah, I think that one of the craziest things for me when whenever I'm listening to any football match, it's it's the commentator's knowledge. And I always am, am wondering what what preparation goes into that because I as you said I liken this to any footballer because for me for example when I'm preparing for a game it doesn't start the night before it, it doesn't start the two days before it starts that Monday because I know that correct I have to have to analyze I have to get my mind right it doesn't take just a night for me to start remembering my own match tactics and techniques that I'm going to use in the match because you know, you can't just create a habit overnight. And for you, because you're thinking so fast, you don't really have time to think. You're just watching and saying, basically. And and this has to be... A yeah. Look, I, th I think, you know, obviously it, it helps if you have a good vocabulary. And, you know, hopefully I have. You've got to be uh, uh, linguistically dexterous. Uh, you've got to think quickly. You've got to be able to translate what you're thinking in your brain uh, to come out of your mouth, you know, within a matter of seconds and form coherent sentences into something that is really very disjointed and, and almost make it into a conversation, really, along with your co-commentator, which is, a, you know, it's quite an art. And, and everybody really thinks that the commentator's job is easy. Oh, you know, you, all you do is say the players' names. Well, yeah, that's part of it. Um, but you've also got to put it into context continually. What is happening and why and what does it mean? Um, and how did it happen and why? And that's partly your job, the job of your co-commentator as well. Normally an ex-player who's got that expertise that I don't have because I didn't play professionally. So, you know, over the years, and I'll give you one example, you know, I've worked with Andy Harper for many years now. And, uh, you know, we have a good understanding behind the microphone. And, you know, we're almost like an old married couple. We know when each other wants to say something and when each other, the other person wants to s stay quiet. So... It becomes a partnership that you develop, a, a chemistry, if you like, like two centre-backs playing with each other or, uh, you know, two strikers. Uh, you, you learn uh, when the other one's going to make a run and when the other one's going to stay short. So in commentary terms, it's, it's pretty similar. And uh, yeah, you've got to be quick with both uh, thoughts and your words and try and nail the big moments in an effective way as as an effective way as possible. Now, you know, when you get the really big moments, such as the John Aloisi penalty or Tim Cahill's goal at the World Cup or a grand final winner, uh, you know, your words are going to be replayed over and over and over again. So you, you want to get it right uh, because you're going to be hearing a lot of them over the next 20 years. So, and you only get one shot at it. Um, you know, it's it's the same, I guess, as t taking a penalty in a shootout in a World Cup final. If you miss, you're going to be remembered for a long time for that miss. If you score, well, you know, you're doing your job. And uh, that's what we have to do as commentators. And I'd, I often liken the job of a commentator to driving a car that has a bit of a wobbly wheel. And your job, it keeps trying to veer off to the left and veer off to the right. And your job is to try and keep it on the middle of the road. And you have to keep adjusting it a little bit there and a little bit there. Uh, and that's putting into context everything that's happening, which can be ever-changing as well. You know, if I'm doing Adelaide-Wellington on Friday night, if Wellington win, they go second. If Adelaide win, they go closer to Melbourne City at the top. 
And that outcome could change two or three times within the, the course of the 90 minutes. So you've got to be across all those scenarios. And, um, you know, being a footballer is probably physically exhausting and mentally exhausting, but certainly, you know, being a commentator is, is mentally tough. And I can tell you at the end of the 90 minutes, you come home and, uh, you know, you're pretty tired and you're, you're running through all the scenarios, the same as I'm sure you do as a goalkeeper. Should I have, you know, dive left for that one? Did I go too early for that ball? Um, why did I let that goal in? Well, we're the same. You know, I should have said this. I should have said that. Um, and I think it's healthy to be critical of your own performance as well and to try and learn from, you know, things that perhaps you haven't done so well. I always go back and watch my games, not as much in detail these days as I used to because I'm more experienced, but certainly in the early days, I would watch every minute of every game and, you know, crucify myself for the things I got wrong. Um, I'm a little bit more forgiving these days, not much, but a little. Yeah, that's brilliant. I think even that you're you're saying that you're you're trying to improve yourself, right? And that's exactly what we're trying to yeah. preach at sculpting. You never stop learning. Yeah, exactly. And right now, obviously, when you first started, you, you're not as good as you are now. But from what we see now, I mean, even just speaking to you now, your your articulation, everything, it's so smooth, and I can I can guarantee that. Yeah, maybe you had some talent when you were younger, but this is this has come through refinement it's come through assessment it's come through analysis yeah. and you've said even now you you can't create the no, perfect you, can't. you still look back and you want to get better i mean i was going to just just add a, a point to that and it's something that i think in broadcasting in particular i think it's been forgotten about to a large degree i hope it's not in football and your profession um, but you will benefit, no doubt, from experienced coaches around you who've been there, seen it, done it, got the T-shirt. And they will be giving you advice, <clears throat> excuse me, based upon their top-level experience. Now, when I first started out in this industry, I was very fortunate because I started at the BBC. And I had the good fortune to work under a lot of producers who were not only very good at their craft, but also very capable and very willing to pass that knowledge on and to point out, you know, things where you can improve. And sometimes there can be tiny things, those little one percenters. Now, in, in television these days, because the cost factor is so critical, uh, I don't think that happens in the same way. And um, whether the broadcasters of today are getting the same sort of training and advice that I did 30 years ago, I don't know. Uh, and if that's the case, then it's pity. But, um, you know, you can always learn of people who've been there and done what you're doing for a lot longer than you have. Yeah, that's brilliant advice. And that, I, for me at least, it still replicates today in football. Um, you're always always learning from people who are older than you, more experienced than you because, you know, Absolutely. you- Absolutely, me too. <laughs> yeah, and these people you want to be like, and they've gone through things uh, much, to, much like you have, except they're seven years, 10 years down the line. and. Yeah, I mean, even if there's people younger than you, you can always take uh, golden nuggets from anyone's experiences, right? And this is exactly why we've got you on today because, you know, you might you might have gone through something that someone might be going through right now and it doesn't have to be exactly the same. It can be the same, uh, it can have the same kind of story involved where, you know, it, it might be about improving performance. It might be about improving anything. And it, it's, a, it's a good example because uh, something that, you know, not many people uh, might think of is the commentators in football, right? I mean, even you go through training, I assume, right? Like, I don't even know this. And 
it's it's kind of like a referee. People don't think about these things. They just always look at the footballers. They think, oh, you know, I want to be the footballer. It's all shiny. It's all, ah, oh, I want to be the footballer, right? And, and it's kind of like the referees. People don't understand that, you know, referees. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of referees underneath them. And there's a lot of people who want to be referees. And there's a few that are up the top, you know. We've got, in, in Australia... And they even, wouldn't be there if they weren't very good. That's yep, the, exactly. That's the thing that people forget. And, you know, in football in particular, football is a very emotional game. So, you know, people tend to put you into black and white categories. This referee's good. This referee's awful. This commentator's good. This referee's awful. This goalkeeper's good. This goalkeeper's awful. Um, but, you know, you wouldn't be playing at the top level if you weren't good. You wouldn't be refereeing at the top level if you weren't any good. And it's the same with commentators. And uh, unfortunately, you know, we do tend to divide opinion because we're in people's lounge rooms, you know, two or three times a week. And when you get invited into people's lounge rooms, however vicariously, then they feel free to pass opinions upon you. And, you know, that's that's part of the job. Um, you know, I have people that love what I do. I have some people who don't. They can't stand me. And, you know, you just got to accept that, unfortunately, uh, particularly in a sport like football. Uh, which is so emotional. But so long as you're as professional as you can be and as good as you can be and you don't stop learning, then, yeah, that's pretty much all you can do. And also, as I say, you, I think you've, you've got to be... Um, you've got to forgive yourself now and then for making a mistake because uh, everybody does it. Nobody can be perfect. Um, and particularly in the days of social media where... Feedback is not only instantaneous, but can be pretty brutal. And you know, I've had that as well. Um, it can be hard not to let that affect you. And that's that's a very modern phenomenon. That didn't exist uh, when I first started off in broadcasting. Um, you know, it took effort for people to sit down and write a letter and put a stamp on it and post it to complain. <laughs> Whereas these days, you know, uh, the click of a button on your phone and you can abuse anybody seemingly with impunity, which I don't necessarily think is a great development, but that's the modern age. Um, just to go back to your early po earlier points about uh, training for, for commentary, to be honest, I didn't have specific training for commentary. I had it as a broadcaster. So by the time I got to commentate games, I was fairly well established as a broadcaster and confident enough uh, to speak into a microphone and to go on air. Um, the commentary I was sort of thrown into a little bit by surprise, to be honest, back in the early 90s. My producer at a radio station called BBC Radio Lancashire said, I need you to go and commentate a game this weekend. And I said, oh, okay, I've never done that, you know. He said, well, let's find out if you can do it. Um, and my first game was Chelsea against Blackburn in the Premier League. So a lot of, a lot of commentators start off doing non-league games or, you know, youth games. I was thrown right in at the deep end. Uh, to do Chelsea Blackburn, um, but as I say, by that stage, I, hopefully, I was a pretty competent broadcaster, and uh, I must have done something right because I'm still doing it. Yeah, must have. Yeah, I think it, it, it's a great. I mean, we can even kind of put that uh, into a life and football perspective. It's like someone going into the deep end. Let's say it's someone making their professional debut, right? Let's say it's someone going into a job interview that then maybe you know you've got five from one job, you want to go into the next, and it's it's unfamiliar. Um, and this this can relate Don't know to if you, until you try. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And thankfully for you, you kind of had a bit of, I wouldn't say experience in commentary, but you had the broadcasting experience, which can translate. But obviously, there's still many things that you know won't translate. Um, so it's it, it's it's great to kind of get that uh, anecdote that you've been 
dropped right in the deep end like Chelsea Blackpool I mean back in the day that would have been a massive game and to, even today it would still be a massive game so it's it's really interesting to hear so uh, the next kind of topic that I kind of want to bring up is your perception of how you want to be portrayed on TV on you know on on football matches how, how do you make sure that you're portraying who you as an individual as Simon Hill you want to be seen right so uh, for me for example, when I go out in the football field, I have three things that I always want to portray. And I, I always write this down before my games, right? I, I say that, okay, I want to act as professional as possible. I want to show that I'm giving as much effort as possible. I want to show that I'm as dedicated as possible. And those three things are easy to show. So I can be early. That's showing the dedication. In the game, I can give effort, right? I want to look like I'm giving effort in the warm-up. You know, body language good. You know, shoulders back. I'm here. And then professional, uh, professional sorry, and then my dedication. These these things can all transcend into visual, you know, aspects, and it's it's all very easy to see, right? But for me, it's much easier, I think at least, for me to show myself than it is for you because you've got only one shot at it, as as we've been saying. Maybe you can use articulation and your your words, right? But at the end of the day. You've, you've got one shot every every few minutes, every second, but you have to be yourself as authentic as possible because anything can be scrutinized and used against you because your words are your words. So how do, how do you use that? Well, again, look, in a game as emotional as football, you're, you know, you can intend to be as professional as, as you want to be. And I'd look, of course, that is my aim every single time. I'm always on time. I don't miss rehearsals. And you know, I'll make sure I go to the right gates and park my car in the right spot. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm there in plenty of time ahead of uh, the game. If they want me to do pre-game crosses, I do it. You know, I don't argue about any of that stuff. I never complain about which games I'm given uh, because it's always a privilege to call football games for a living. So... You know, those are the basic things. And obviously, you know, now that I'm very established in my career, then those things, I wouldn't say become accepted wisdom, but they, they're they anticipated as being the norm. So in terms of what image I'm trying to <laughs> portray on screen, I mean, I just try to be as authentic as possible, to be honest. I, I'm just me. The, the one thing that does irritate me a little bit is because you're only on screen for the 90 minutes or on air for the 90 minutes people form a very one-dimensional view of what your persona is your character um and that ain't necessarily the truth obviously you know we're all fully functioning human beings with lives outside our chosen professions and likes and dislikes and foibles and strengths and weaknesses um and when I got into this all these years ago, I got into it not because I wanted to be on television or because I wanted to be a star or because I, uh, you know, wanted fame or money. I did it because I loved football. Um, I wanted to work in football. In fact, when I started, I wanted to be a writer. I had no interest in being on television or radio. Um, that sort of came <clears throat> almost by chance uh, a little bit later on in my career. Um, so for me, it's, it's, it's about being authentic in my love of the game. And that doesn't just 
hopefully reflects itself during the 90 minutes, but it's it's what I say and do during the week. I host a radio show. I do podcasts like this. I MC functions. I um, occasion special guests where, you know, I'll do interviews like this and talk about my career. Um, or I will be on Twitter arguing about the latest decision by the FA or the APL. And I do that not because necessarily it's just my job, although it is, but it's also who I am. You know, I'm actually a passionate football fan. And if I wasn't working in this industry, I'd still be going to watch football. Uh, maybe not in Australia, I'd probably be back in the UK. But, you know, it's it's been a lifelong passion. And I've just been, <clears throat> excuse me, fortunate enough to be able to translate that into being able to earn a living out of it. So um, in terms of what image I try to portray, well, it, as I said, the interesting thing is people get a very limited snapshot of, of who you are. And I'll give you one very visual example. I mean, you can see at the moment, you know, I'm growing my hair. Um, I have a beard. Now, I, I didn't used to when I first started. Um, but to be honest, this is the way I feel much more comfortable. I played drums in a heavy metal cover band. This has always been me. Uh, in the earlier part of my career, I was clean shaven and had short hair because that's what TV demanded of me. And I didn't like that very much because it almost gave a bit of a false impression as to who I was as an individual. Now, this is me, and a lot of people don't like it because they're unaccustomed to it. I couldn't care less. I'm at the age now where I think I've earned the right to be who I am. So this is me being authentic. Fortunately enough, my current employer doesn't care, which is great. Uh, my previous employer certainly did. Um, so I think authenticity... People can latch onto that. They understand authenticity. And I, I hope that people, even if they don't always agree with what I say, and a lot of people don't, but they at least recognize that it's coming from the right place. And that is, as a football fan, it cares very, very deeply about this game, particularly in Australia where I live. Yeah, it, it's great to hear, you know, that I think in life, in football, it translates well, you know. This, this is exactly why I wanted to get you on because people might not realize that, you know, in all areas of life, authenticity, being yourself, showing, you know, what you stand for, this this helps you get to the top, right? And we see you now and, you know, we've seen you for years and we've seen you at the top and... Well, to be fair, so, sorry to interrupt. Sorry to interrupt, Nicholas. To be fair, it can sometimes you know, be the exact opposite. Um, people don't always like authenticity, particularly if it uh, infringes upon cultural norms, uh, which I've certainly done during my career, uh, the latter part of my career anyway, in television. I've only been able to do that because I've become more established. And with that comes a little bit uh, of a greater freedom uh, to be more authentic as to who you are and allows you to speak out a little bit more vocally on issues that, that matter to you. But, you know, it doesn't, doesn't always go down too well, particularly, you know, there's a lot of uh, group peer pressure and, um, you know, I'm one of those people whose tastes both inside and out of football are probably a little bit um, left of centre and sometimes that can cause problems. Um, and for a long time, I had to sort of rein that in, uh, in order to fit in with cultural norms, in order to try and progress your career. But it doesn't always 
sit easily with you. And, and to be honest, that's you know maybe a decent lesson as well. That sometimes there are things that you have to do um, to get on in life and to make your mark. And if you do that, then perhaps at a later stage, you get that little bit more freedom uh, to be the more authentic you. But uh, it's, yeah, it's a fine line to walk. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, that you said that. So I think the, the main question I have for that is, do you think that, you know, the, the younger version of Simon Hill who kind of had to, you know, go to this, you know, accepted way, do you think that this Simon Hill is, you know, a, a not as... Obviously, you're still the same person, but this perceived version maybe isn't as the you know the version that you'd like today. You, you do you much prefer how you portray yourself and how you act today than rather than how you were younger. Is it, is that something that you've kind of had to you know consciously shift towards? Yeah, and it's only happened in the last uh, few years, really. Um, you know, with age comes wisdom, I guess, is the old saying. And, um, you know, I, I got to a point in my life and in my career, and I'd be a few things happened in my personal life as well, that I, I no longer wanted to uh, play that game of uh, being the guy that people thought I was. Uh, you know, the clean-cut, clean-shaven, um, a conformist, if 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 that's the way you want to put it, because I've never really been a conformist anyway, deep down. So uh, that, if you like, is my authenticity now, uh, and I'm much happier with it um, because it means I can be myself. Uh, obviously, sometimes you've got to rein that in a little bit. You can't just you know shoot your mouth off left, right, and centre. Um, but you know, you can, you can, you can put your points of view across and, and be honest and authentic. And yeah, a lot of people like it to be fair and some people don't. And I accept that. That's okay. Um, but you know, you get to a point where you have to be yourself and, uh, I, I'm much happier with the version I am today than I thought I was maybe 20 years ago. That's for sure. Yeah. It's very interesting to hear because. Even that, that can translate to football. Uh, our most recent guest was uh, the fear coach, his name is, right? And the the fear of some people in football, they can't be themselves at football teams, you know? I, I know that at the, at the top, right, if you're a shy individual who is very introverted, but come Sunday or Saturday, you've got to be the most aggressive, loud person there is, and that might not be you. Uh, and you do kind of have to almost fake it till you make it. Something You have to kind of fit to that role and uh yeah yeah it's it's interesting i think think, you know i think football in particular it's obviously the sport that that we both do in different genres but you know it's it's a pack mentality um and sometimes you you know you have to be part of that pack but it should also particularly in the modern era uh, if coaches are or people in positions of authority are smart, they will recognize that people are individuals and that they need different things. They express themselves in different ways. And, you know, that's to be encouraged and applauded because it offers variety. If we were all the same, then life would be pretty dull and a football team would be pretty dull and a commentary team would be pretty dull. So... You know, I think individuality is good within reason. 
um, obviously you can't have 11 people in a football team's case going off in 11 different ways. You, you know, there are certain things that you have to adhere to. And I'm the same as a commentator. But, you know, there, there has to be room for some uh, individual expression either on the field or behind the microphone. Uh, otherwise, you're just churning out robots. And, uh, you know, that's, that's not good for anybody. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a brilliant point, and uh, the the next kind of topic that I have, which relates a little bit to this 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 previous topic that I was talking about. So, over time, obviously, you've been in you've been in the broadcasting TV game for quite some time now, and when 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 you were younger, right, your processes to where you are now, you've even mentioned already with the analysis, right? When you were younger, you're always refining, you're always looking back, and you still do this, but maybe you don't need to do it as much. And I'm sure that this isn't the only chance where your processes, your principles might have shifted a little bit. So if you can quickly go into how when you were younger preparing, you know, maybe you were in the mirror for three hours making sure you're perfect and now now you, you're completely okay with just rocking up. <laughs> so anything like this, uh, your processes over time. Well, look, the, the processes of preparing for a game have changed uh, in large part because of the technological revolution. When I first started calling games back in the early 90s, uh, you know, we were working in an office that still had landline telephones and uh, there was no internet and you would phone up clubs and ask for pen pictures to be faxed through of opposition players and you fact-checked via uh, reference books, the old Rothmans football yearbooks, in my case, in the UK. I've still got dozens of them from, from years ago. So the technological revolution has completely turned that on its head. Um, you know, these days, there are a million stats and videos and analysis pieces that you can tap it into at the tap of a finger. Um, so that's in many ways made it a lot easier, but uh, of course, also conversely, it's made it more difficult because if you miss something, you can guarantee that people who are out there watching, you've got access to exactly the same information will know it. So it, it's, you know, it's a double-edged sword, um, but it's, it's certainly made our job in, in many ways very much more straightforward. Um, social media... Yeah, I don't know whether that's been a boon or not. Um, yeah, instant feedback can be good, uh, and I don't mind constructive criticism if I've got something wrong. I'm more than happy for you know people to tell me. I mean, it happens. Um, I don't like the abuse that people dish out. Um, I'm fairly lucky to be honest; I don't get too much of it, but yeah, a lot of people do, um, and it can make you sort of rather remote from other people within the industry as well. You know, you tend to communicate from behind a screen. Whereas once upon a time, we would either pick up the phone and talk one-to-one -one or actually go down to the training ground and, you know, have face-to-face -face conversations. And I don't know, that seems to have sort of drifted out a bit, a little bit, which I think is a pity, um, makes you sort of disconnected from each other. But I think that's just a, you know, modern societal phenomenon in general. Um, but yeah, the, the way that we prepare for games now is, it's, it's night and day from, from what it used to be. And even the way we broadcast games, you know, when I first started, we uh, we used to have this th this contraption called a reporter phone that used to plug into a, a, a landline telephone socket, and we had a, a a square box with a a dial pad on the front, and you would essentially call a game off the phone. 
Uh, nowadays, of course, modern ISDN and satellite hookups, you know, it's all studio quality everywhere. So um, it's its changed things in many ways for the better, but uh, not entirely, I would say. Yeah, it, it's, it's great to hear, you know, that obviously it, it's the same again for football, you know, and, and life when when you're younger, you know, obviously there was a barrier with technology that you don't have today, but processes, things will all change. And for you, it's probably more of a, a, a change, quite a, quite a quick change, right? Every year technology is getting better. Massive. Yeah. yeah. Football, maybe getting better, maybe getting worse. It's, it's arguable, uh, but you know, the quicker, yeah, quicker, that's quicker, more physical, more intense. And the biggest change that I've seen, and look, the football fans have always whinged about referees uh, since the game began. But now I find that games are dominated by refereeing decisions, or at least the conversations uh, dominated by those decisions afterwards. And I, to be honest, that's not something I, I like. You know, I don't know about you, but I grew up, you know, watching football, loving watching footballers. I pay my money when I do pay to go and watch games, to go and watch footballers. I don't, I don't want to talk about referees for three hours afterwards. Um, but that seems to be the way it is. You know, we live in a blame culture, a litigious culture, and uh, the referee is the easy person to blame for everybody. But I mean, that's just me. No, I completely agree. I, I, I honestly, I've never even got an argument with a referee before because, you know, they're there to do their job, right? I'm here to do my job. I can only control what I'm doing. If uh, Another thing that we see in football a lot is people arguing about a red card that's already happened. And if there's no VAR, if the, if the VAR's already decided, they're still arguing. Yeah. What's the point? Like, uh, I, I've never really understood that. <laughs> yeah. I've always tried to peek um, on the ref's side, even if it's a, the wrong decision, you know, what can you do about it? And uh, it's interesting to see even how modern football is adapted, right? And, and you, I'm sure that you've seen, I mean, back in the, the early 2000s, 90s, you'd see some players kick refs. And I mean, some people, I'm sure they want to these days, especially with VAR, a lot of controversy around that. But um, even the professionalism of the sport, you know, you were saying that the, the speed, the physicality, these things have adapted, they've changed, they've gotten better. Um, and it's, it's interesting to, you know, get your perspective on that because this happens in all areas of life, you know. Uh, you can refine everyone with with uh, more people, with more, you know, uh, I guess, involvement in football. There's going to be changes and it's either for the better or for the worse. And there could be both, right? Uh, we, we might even see that arguably with some people uh, saying the refs get worse and the football gets better. You know, there's, there's, there's many things in life <laughs> yeah. where... It, well, look... You know, my, my, my view on referees, and I, I know a lot of the referees in Australia, and almost to a man and woman, uh, they're good people. Yeah. Um, and they don't go into a game the same as I don't go into a game, or well, I'm sure you don't go into a game to make mistakes. But, you know, they happen. And the game these days is so quick uh, and so physical that, you know, they, they have a split second to make a decision now. You can say, well, that's what we've got VAR for, which is brilliant because, you know, it means that they've got help. And I, I do think that that was the original aim of it. And I think it was worth a try. The problem is, is that the, the laws of football, the laws of the game are, are so gray in some areas that I think all it's done is actually exacerbate 
the abuse that the refs get because the decisions take longer. Um, you know, half the time we spend watching, looking at a referee, looking at a little screen, and we can't hear what they're saying. We don't know what it's about. Um, and then in the end, they come up with a decision that half the people still disagree with. Um, now, to me, I'd rather just go with ref's call on the field. If he gets it right, which they do most of the time, even in real time, great. If he makes a mistake, okay, he makes a mistake. Um, you know, it'll probably even out the week after anyway. So I don't like VAR for that reason. I think it's delayed the game. I think it's amplified the discussion around uh, referees and their decisions. But uh, it appears that we are stuck with it. And um, yeah, we're just going to have to make the best of it. I, th I think if the, you know, if, if FIFA or IFA brings in the audio uh, for us to listen to, that will at least help in some way. Even if we don't agree with the decision, then perhaps at least we'll understand why it was made. But uh, that still seems some way off, at least on a week-by-week -week basis. Yeah, that's an interesting one, actually. I saw that, uh, I think, for the Club World Cup, they're trialling. Uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's that it's an interesting one because, you know, your understanding decision-making, I mean, even for footballers, footballers don't get that luxury, right? Uh, if Loris Karius after the Champions League final was going to say, well, I, I, I didn't see Benzema there, or maybe maybe he's giving his anecdote about how he, I mean, obviously I don't know if this happened, but if he actually did get concussed from Ramos, I mean, I'm sure people would have a very different perspective on it, right? And sometimes we don't have the luxury sure. to explain decisions and it can it can really, you know, change opinion. And I think that it's a, it's an interesting one because this is something that I'm sure you have to deal with. I mean, after a, after a game, uh, you watch back and you realize that you might have said something wrong. You don't have the luxury of saying yep. necessarily, oh, well, I, I, I didn't realize or maybe I was informed. I mean, I, I'm sure sometimes you might even get a wrong, you know, a false starting 11 because someone might have been injured in the warm-up. There's, there's mistakes that you might, you know, yep. have to filter out and, and you don't well, get the, the luxury. You know, there's, there, there's a... You know, as a commentator, this has put extra pressure on us as well because, you know, we're being now accused of influencing the game. You know, if, if we question something, well, is that a penalty? And, of course, that's our job is to comment. You know, literally what a commentator means is to comment on the game. Um, and if I think it's a penalty, I'll say so. Now, if, you know, the ref's not giving it, then the people at home who, who are watching the broadcast and listening to my call are going to say, well, he thought it was a penalty. You know, why wasn't it a penalty? So it, it's it's put a greater onus on us as well, I think, um, to, to try and get things right. And, you know, sometimes that's impossible because, you know, we're not referees. Um, and, you know, we, we have to call things as we see them. And we don't always get it right either. So... Yeah, I, I think it's been an unwelcome development. I understand why they did it, and you know maybe it was worth a try. But for me, I, I think it's it's not been a positive introduction in, into our sport. And I, I think most fans sort of think that way. I'm not saying all, but I think most fans think that way now that they've seen it in action. And I think if you asked a lot of supporters, they would say, "No, let's go back to how it was." But maybe you know maybe the genie now is out of the bottle and it's too late. Um, I don't know. It, it certainly appears that way. Um, but it's, yeah, I, th I think it's made the game generally a little bit less enjoyable because of it. It's definitely uh, quite a unique uh, experience to have someone who is an officiator of a game, right? 
have the time to take out and to not criticize but evaluate decision making and i I don't think many people necessarily have i wouldn't call it a luxury but the the opportunity to do this i mean if you're if you're comparing it to a a life situation right if you were to go take back okay you know i spent 500 dollars on some shoes should I have done that? Should I have not? Maybe you can't return let's, them. Let's go and have a second look at that, shall Exactly. We? <laughs> you don't have that luxury. You know, you've got the team behind you. The, you, you know, you've got your parents, mom, dad, maybe that, maybe that or there. You know, people don't have that. Um, so yeah. it's, it's definitely it's an interesting one. It's re-refereeing a game. And again, my issue is if the laws were completely black and white, then you'd say, okay. But because they're not, all we're doing effectively is getting a second opinion. And that opinion might differ to the referees, but it still might not concur with the vast majority of the crap. Um, that's not necessarily to say they get it wrong when they do review it, but yeah, I, do, I just think it's a very grey area. And, you know, football, The one of the reasons I think why football is, is the world game and that everybody loves it, or most people love it, is because it replicates life in all its you know, um, up and down form. You know, life doesn't always go according to plan. Things can go down as well as up. Um, you know, there can be random events. The best team doesn't always win. You don't, life isn't always fair. And yet we're sort of trying to sanitize it to the point where we're error-free. And it can't, it can never reach that. And we shouldn't want it to, really. Um, I, I preferred it when... Yeah, there, there was human error, and we could talk about it honestly and say, well, the referee got it wrong, but you know what? He only gets one look at it. It's when they get two, three, four, five looks at it, and we still disagree. That's, I think that's, you know, that's what I mean about exacerbating the problem, but so, anyway, probably gone on a bit too long about VAR. <laughs> well, I, I think it's a, it's a good, it's a good um, you know, example of how opinions really do dictate everything, because someone's opinion can make one team win the game and another man's opinion can make the team lose and it that that completely translates to life i mean if you're going into a job interview and you've you've got the boss maybe the qualifications you might have the same qualifications as the next guy but it's completely an opinion that dictates your your future and i think that's it does i'd I'd add to that the caveat that in a game of football and i think that's always the coaches or the managers you know angle and I understand why they say oh you know that referee has cost us the game or that linesman's flag has cost us the game or the VAR has remember in a game of football you still got even aside of that one incident you got another 89 and a half minutes plus stoppages uh, to overturn that theoretical error and score a goal or two of your own at the other end but you know it's, it's bizarre the language that we use in football we're very forgiving of strikers who miss a chance we we say oh he was in the right position you know at least he's getting in those positions and sooner or later it'll you know it'll turn for him or if a goalkeeper lets one between their legs well he's been solid for us all season you know i'm not going to blame him for that one error and yet the referee makes one error and he gets absolutely smashed and he might have made 99 correct decisions before that but that one mistake he gets absolutely hammered. We have no sympathy for the referee, no respect for authority in our game at all. And it's, you know, it irritates me when I hear people in Australia go, we've got the worst referees in the world. Our referees are terrible. 
And you know what? They say exactly the same thing in England, the same thing in Italy, the same thing in Germany and Spain and everywhere else in the world. It's not a national problem. It's a football problem. And it's the problem with how we view officialdom and we just don't respect it. That's why we got VAR, sadly. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, I mean, from my experience personally, I mean, you know, I've played in Australia, I've played in Germany. I mean, my current team, uh, unfortunately, I'll be, I'll be 100% honest, maybe some of the referee decisions are questionable, right? But as you said, you know, you do have to take accountability and take responsibility for everything that happens, right? And if you are dealt maybe an unfair decision, you have to deal with that because that's your circumstances. It happens. Yeah, and, and yeah. you have to make the most out of it as well because it, it's, it, it does happen. But it also happens for the other team. It might not happen in that game. It might happen in another game. And sometimes, you know, people are more fortunate than others, less frequent, more frequent. But you have to deal with that because at the end of the day, who's got the power? It's you. It's only you. External things will dictate events, but only you can influence and dictate your own events. And I think that that's that's a life lesson in, in, in general. And... um. But, but we live in, you know, the modern day, we live in a blame culture and we expect things to go our way. Um, and I don't quite know how that's developed, but it has. And we are not prepared for downsides in work. And everybody has them. You know, your life is full of ups and downs. You know, my personal yeah, situation with with my career. Yeah, I've lost my job twice um, during my thirty two years in the industry, and it's not a nice thing to happen. Uh, and you do instinctively look around for people to blame instead of saying, you know, well, could I have done better? Uh, was I partly to blame for that? And I, th- you know, in both cases, I recognised that there was at least you know, my fault in part. It certainly wasn't totally, but. Um, you know, so you've got to take a little bit of personal responsibility and uh, get on with it and, and try and do better when the next opportunity arises. Um, otherwise, you'd be down the moan from those mistakes. Yeah, 100%. It, it's, it translates into all areas of life. And that's that's what we, you know, we talk about at Sculpted. It's taking accountability for things that you have control of. It's, it's controlling the controllables. And, you know, life sometimes isn't fair, but you can influence your life to, you know, make it more in your favor sometimes. And it, it's taking this responsibility that really counts. And uh, the next kind of topic that I quickly want to go into before we start wrapping it up is uh, even our introduction for this episode and for our, our podcast is literally just amazing commentary. It's some of the most famous commentary that we have. And it's when Ronaldo walks into uh, Old Trafford for the first time in how many odd years he's been, he's been out. And um, this kind of brings me to the the legacy and the the you know the aura of commentary and the art of it this is the i i personally think that it's the best bit of commentary outside of a football match obviously it's in a football match but walking the the ronaldo you know image of him walking down the tunnel in, in old trafford it, it's it's a it's a beautiful one and the commentary makes it 10 10 times better and then you've got even the next the next um, video that I have in the introduction is Kobe and Shaq. And this is also, it's another one. It's, it, it just makes the video 10 times better because you've got this commentary and it's, it's iconic, right? 
And I'm sure that there's been moments for you where you might look back at moments and you might think, wow, that was, that was, that's me doing my job. That's me. That's the best of me. But then I'm sure there's also moments where it's like, maybe that wasn't the best of me. Maybe I could have done something better. And oh yeah, yeah. I want to, I want to <laughs> quickly talk about how you deal with looking back at your best bits and your worst bits, because I mean, it's, it goes into life and football, you know, I, Sometimes for footballers, we don't want to watch our mistakes. It's 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 painful. It's very painful. <laughs> I'm sure it's the same thing. Well, for you. let me tell you that, that one of the most famous bits of commentary that I'm remembered for is the Uruguay qualifier in 2005, uh, when Jarl Wiese scores the you know the penalty in Australia qualify for the World Cup in 32 years. Now I don't know how many times I've heard that piece of commentary, and every interview I do. People say, oh, must be your favorite piece tonight. That must have been your favorite night. What a night that was. And what they're actually doing is remembering it through their own experience, which was that they were elated because Australia qualified. As for me, professionally, happy as I was that Australia qualified, by the way, it was one of the worst nights of my life. It was awful. Professionally, it was terrible. Um, and had Australia lost, I think it would remember be remembered in an entirely different way. But it, it's, and I've said this before, it's a good lesson for commentators that as important and as nice it is, as it is to be the backdrop to those big moments when they happen, really, it's about what happens on the pitch. You're just the, the wallpaper in the background. And of course, you can add to it, as you said with the Ronaldo commentary, it can make a good moment very, very special. Um, but it's really about what happens on the pitch. And if you, if you analyze the commentary that Craig Foster and I did that night, November, 2005, from a purely analytical broadcast perspective, you would agree that it is, it's pretty ordinary, but it doesn't matter. People remember it in a completely different way. And why? Because Australia won. I don't care. You know, and the, the, the shrieking of Craig Foster, Johnny Warren, Ray Bartz, go on Australia. You know, I mean, it was uh, thoroughly unprofessional. And, and I wasn't at my best that night either. And yet it's it's the piece of commentary that I'm reminded about most. Normally on radio interview, they will play it before they speak to me. And I cringe every time I hear it. I hate it with a passion, to be honest. Um, there, there are other bits of commentary that I far prefer, but because they don't have the same resonance for people. They weren't perhaps as big a game, as big an occasion, as big a context. It's that word again, context. What's the context of what you're watching? Um, then people forget about those moments. But I remember them because when I get home that night, I think I nailed that. Whereas, you know, there are others that uh, I think, no, that's awful, terrible. And as I said, the, the trick overall is not to get too carried away with the successes and not to get too downhearted with the failures and learn to live with your failures because you're going to have some no matter what walk of life you know you operate in and I've learned to live with I know people don't see it as a failure and that's nice by the way but I've learned to live with that commentary in 2005 because other people remember it in a completely different way which is really nice um but yeah I, I've got moments in, in my commentary career that I far outweigh November 2005 
Um, and the nice bit is that, you know, some people do recognize those moments and, um, you know, I'll give you one example. There was, and it's not even a, a line per se, but, uh, as the semi-final of the A-League went out, Terry Antonis went through to score for Melbourne victory against Sydney FC in 2018. And I said something about Brandon O'Neill giving chase forlornly. Now that one word forlornly has become iconic for Melbourne Victory fans for some reason. And I get reminded about it whenever I go down to Melbourne. You know, there'll be people walking past me going, forlornly. Oh, yeah, there you go, mate. Um, so it's nice to be remembered for those little moments. Adelaide United fans have got a banner behind the goal, the Red Army, with Si Senor Si, which was my line when Isaias scored in the 2016 Grand Final. It's on T-shirts. Um, so, you know, it's... It's lovely to be remembered for, for those sorts of moments. That's, I guess, a commentator's legacy, if we can have one, in something so disposable as a live broadcast. Um, but, you, you know, you are remembered for the, the higher profile games and moments. And you've just got to hope that you get those right more often than not. In 2005, I don't think I did. But there's been a few since that I did, so I'll live with that. Yeah, it, it's really interesting to hear that even... I think it was a really, really great point with the context part, right? This translates to all areas of life because even for, for me as a goalkeeper, you know, I might lose 5-0, but I might have the best game of my life. But, you know, I still go, go into the changing room with, you know, oh, I wish it was a different situation. But I might have, you know, if we win if we win 5-0, man of the match, you know? It, and that, that, that corresponds to all areas of life, right? Because you could be... You could have had the best job um, in your in your business, but you still lost two million two million bucks. But you know you learned so much and you did really well. But this this is what happens, and uh, it's a perfect example for for life. And uh, me personally, I, I don't remember the two thousand and five night because I was only one year old. But um, I, I've watched it back many. It's that makes me feel <laughs> old. Sorry. Thanks. <laughs> but I've watched it back many times because it's it, it comes up on TV in Australia, you know, every every few years, and I, I know it, and it's become iconic. But it, it's crazy to hear that. I mean, you know, that wasn't. But I mean, obviously, it's it's an iconic moment for all Australians who are football fans. But for you, you you're saying that it wasn't even your best moment, and it, it's crazy to hear that. You know, people not even in the top ten. <laughs> yeah, wow, and, and it, it's it's crazy because you know. When I think of Simon Hill, that's, I mean, for most people, it's probably one of the first things we think. But for you, it's, it's, you said it's not even in the top 10, which it's, it's amazing to hear, you know, that it's the opinions, it's the perspective, and it's, it's the context that can it's really dictate. It's the context because it's, it's how the people who watched it remember how they felt when John Aloisi's penalty went in or Mark Schwartz made the big save. And that's what they're remembering and the words that accompanied it whether they were good, bad, or indifferent. But as I said, if you if you take all the emotion out of it, and of course, you don't want to do that because football is an emotional game, but if you took all the emotion out of it and just, you know, looked at the actual uh, commentary in, in its barest terms, and I, I know this because I've spoken to producers and that, I've always said that, that was garbage, and they go, yeah, it was. <laughs> so I know. Um, but, you know, it doesn't matter um, because, as I say, it's been remembered in the right way. And I, I'm glad about that. And I'm grateful for it because my name is linked to it, along with Craig Foster. 
And, you know, I much prefer it to be remembered that way than, you know, remembered that people go, yeah, that was crap. That was awful. So it's nice, but I know the truth. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's brilliant to hear, you know. I mean, as, I, as I've been saying. Just it, honesty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it corresponds to all areas of life. Um, that being said, so I just want to quickly wrap it up with this final question of what are three ways that you sculpt yourself on a daily basis? Preparation, anything like this, getting ready to go on air, broadcasting, commentary. What are three ways that you make yourself better every single day? That's that's a good question. Um, I guess I've already answered sort of one of them. Uh, research, you can't skimp on your research. And I still don't. I mean, I've spent a full day uh, today because I've got Adelaide United and Wellington Phoenix uh, tomorrow in the A-Leave. So I spent the full day today, you know, writing out all my, all my notes and doing everything that I need to for, you know, that's, uh, and, uh, you know, playing notes for, for both sides. So, you know, if you skimp on your research, what, what's the old saying? Dale's prepared to fight. So I, I never skimp on that. In terms of match day preparation, you know, I try to, I try not to do work on the game on the day of the game. I try to sort of relax a little bit and do other things so I've got a, a clear head. And I guess the other thing when I'm actually at the stadium is probably half an hour when the teams, when the te official team lists come in um, and I'm in the commentary position, I'll sort of get myself in the zone, as commentators say. You know, I'll sit there and sort of visualize where the players are going to be, make sure that I know in all the names, obviously I'll do mostly with with the A-League, of course, um, and just get myself in a, a mental state of mind that I'm, I'm relaxed, but on edge enough to give it my best. And I think that's a, you know, that's a fine balance. If you're too nervous, you're going to be all over the place. And this is probably particularly true of a goalkeeper in the position that you play. If you're too nervous, you're going to make mistakes. But if you're too relaxed, you're not going to be focused enough and you can switch off. So it's, it's a fine balance. And you need to shut out all the extraneous noise. I and, mean, you know, in a football stadium, there's a fair bit. Uh, even in a commentary booth, there are people coming in and out of the commentary booth wanting to say hello. There are special guests who perhaps, you know, arrange to come in and see you for five minutes. There are producers. Can we do a line check? There are, you know, camera people going, what does this guy look like? And, you know, so you can get easily distracted. Uh, so I, I have a, a like a... A mental sort of trick where I put myself in almost like an invisible bubble that nobody can can penetrate. And when I'm in that bubble, it's just me and the gate. And that's where I like to be probably half an hour before kickoff. And if people try to talk to me, I just put the headphones on and I can't hear them. Even if I can. <laughs> if you see what that means. So I'd, I try not to get distracted because it's important to be focused on, on what you're doing. Um, and as I say, look, you, you're never going to get everything right during the 90 minutes. So every game I come home thinking, I made a mistake there. I should have said that. I got that wrong. But, you know, all you can do is your best. Prepare to try and be your best. Um, but, you know, if it's not necessarily good enough on the night, well, you've got to try and get over it as quickly as you can and prepare for the next one. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's it's definitely... a it's a perspective that not many people think about 
and I, I think it's been it's, it's been an excellent insight into you know another perspective of football. We've talked about the refs. It's also another perspective of football, and it's 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 amazing to hear the preparation. It's something that sticks out for me really because I know that preparation is is massive. And at sculpt, this is what we talk about. You're sculpting yourself to be ready for that moment, and this is what commentary is about. And it's the same for football lights, right? You have to prepare, you know. And this is something that's really important. And uh, Simon, that the episode really, it's been. It's been an honor to have you on for me, you know. Uh, it, you're iconic for me because it's I've grown up listening to you, watching you. So That's nice to Thank hear. you so much for coming on today. And uh, I hope that all the listeners at home, they can take away something because you, we, don't just, we don't just want the, the footballers on. We want to hear football from a different perspective. It's really important to hear football from a different perspective because it can definitely change your outlook in all areas, right? So, Simon, again, thank you so much. It's been a real honor. And... I hope that everyone listening can take away some valuable lessons. My pleasure, Nicholas. Thanks for having me on and uh, good luck with your football career as well. Perfect. Thanks so much, Sam.